Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pick and Pod, a brand new podcast, all focused about basketball, all things about if it's going to be the NBA. Olympics are coming up soon. We might be talking about that in the future. Uh, but yeah, it's between two U- Ryerson University students, myself, Elias Hussain. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Julian, if you want to introduce yourself. What's going on, everybody? It's Julian Quintero. Uh, you, you've probably heard my voice in several other podcasts, but here we go. Pick and Pod, uh, NBA-style podcast, and most of the other ones I've started, we haven't spoken about basketball so it's, it's gonna be really really fun and be able to talk about the nba and we definitely have a lot of topics today the nba has provided a lot of different things to talk about whether it be playoffs whether it be trades there's a lot to cover so at least if you want to just hop right into it yeah um yeah you guys probably already know julian yeah he's a pretty pretty uh popular guy so to say with the, the Ryerson or the, the the sports media community like uh with the new young and upstarts but probably don't know me that much uh I'm in journalism I'm not even in sport media at Ryerson but uh yeah so I love sports I haven't really talked about basketball that much uh if, if you know me you know that I talk and write up a lot about hockey on Twitter so it's time to expand my knowledge because I really like talking about basketball it's my first love so finally sure. get in to talk about it all right so this weekend we had crazy, crazy games. As we all know, the NBA season is ramping, ramping up. We're going into the conference finals now. Uh, game one for the Western Conference already started. Uh, game one for the Eastern Conference finals will start shortly. But before that, we had two game sevens. And both of them were really, really entertaining and have a lot of storylines coming out of it. First off, we're going to start with the one that came first, the Bucks versus the Nets which, in my opinion, one of the most entertaining games I have ever watched in uh, basketball as a neutral fan. Obviously, yeah. the Raptors going on to the, the finals a couple of years ago, I have a lot of uh, bias towards that. But one of the best uh, game segments I've watched as a neutral fan in my lifetime. Um, you know, Julian, for you, where, where does this game seven rank in, like, I would say, like the last five years of the NBA in terms of purely entertainment value? Where does it rank? Honestly, I don't know. Like the NBA has provided a lot of very, very interesting game sevens at most points of the playoffs. Like for some reason, for me, the 2018 uh, Pacers Cavs series sticks in my head for literally no reason apart from the fact that like, yo LeBron he had to carry, and we got we got to see Kevin Durant have to finally address his haters, so to say, in this series. This series was very legacy defining, so to say. Not only for Kevin Durant, but also on the Bucks side for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, a lot of people have been saying, like, maybe he's just a regular season player. You know, James Harden's claims, uh, what was it, two years ago, three years ago, when he said, like, Giannis would not be as good if he wasn't just a freak of nature physically. So there is that to talk about. But where does this rank over the past five years? It's certainly going to be one that's going to be remembered. There's a lot of things coming out of this game. There's a lot of talk heading into this game. I mean, the Nets with their big three, their three-headed monster. They were going to run through the, the league. That James Harden, who was a reigning MVP. Kyrie Irving, an amazing playoff performer. Kevin Durant, who's one of the greatest players of our generation. Like, all on the same team. And everyone was just like, yo, they're, they're going to run through it. And then on the other side, it was the Bucks, who they've been doing very, very well and have quietly just been up there. And they finally proved this season that they might just be a contender. And, well, spoiler alert, if you somehow didn't watch the game, uh, the Bucks are in the Eastern Conference Finals this season, uh, knocking off the Nets in that Game 7. So for me, very, very amazing. Uh, where does it rank for you, Elias? 
it, it has to be in the, the near the top. I mean, for me personally, I got some bias. Like I said earlier, number one game seven of I will say all time for me personally that I've watched from beginning to end has to be Raptors Sixers in 2019 uh, second round. Kawhi Leonard with the, the shot. Man. The shot is always going to be number one. I think if you ask anybody, any Toronto fan, the shot is number one. Um, but you know, you talked about how KD is legacy defining. Let's let's talk about the game for him. You know, he had another near fifty point game as he, I want to say, physically dragged the Nets to the finish line. He he didn't have that much help offensively. You know, James Harden clearly unhealthy. Joe Harris forgot how to shoot a basketball if his life depended on it. Uh, and Blaine Griffin can only do so much uh, on the defensive end. Like when I say that. Uh, uh, Joe Harris forgot how to shoot the basketball. Let me let me read out this stat for, uh, for you. It's on uh, it's from Stat Muse on Twitter. You know, it's the three point percentage uh, for from three players in this series in games three to seven. Uh, the first one is Giannis. You know, obviously we all know the story behind Giannis. He's not a good shooter. Yeah, never been a good shooter, and he's not a guy that's known for him from for him shooting. So he his three point percentage from game three to seven. He had a twenty six point one shooting percentage, which is not that uncommon for him. Another one is Drew Holiday, who's another player who's going to get, who scores a lot of his points by driving by his uh, opponents and getting to the basket. Not really uh, renowned for being a shooter. He had a 24.3% shooting percentage. Uh, Joe Harris had a 24.23 point shooting percentage in games three to seven in this series. This is a guy that has won the NBA three point competition in the past and led the NBA uh, from shooting beyond the arc. In, re- in the regular season this year. he So when I say he forgot how to shoot, he literally forgot how to shoot. So KD actually had to drag this team to the finish line uh, in game seven. I mean, you can even say that in game games uh, uh, five as well, where he had another monster game. Uh, and you can see it later on in the game, especially late in overtime, the exhaustion was getting to him. Like he, he uh, his shots were falling short of the rim. We talked about the last shot, um, you know, it was an air ball. Uh, there was a lot of shots that, you know, you can see KD wasn't, you know, he was gassed out, uh, if you want to say. And, you know, he there was one play where the ball is clearly off of his leg. KD knows it's off of his leg. And he calls for, for them to check it over so he can just get a, a, a breather, you know. So KD, he is a monster. This is a legacy defining. And it's sad that that shot that he made to, to force overtime will be lost after this because the Nets did lose the game. Um, but... Man, it's it's legacy defining for him because he 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 really proved himself and he did show a lot of uh the doubters you know to be quiet and put some respect on his name. But where where do you think Julian? Where do you think this 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 Brooklyn Nets roster go after this loss? You know, should they be what should they be looking for in the offseason? Should there be significant changes to the supporting cast around them? You know, I mentioned Joe Harris. You know, it should something be going on with him. You know, they are going to, probably going to lose Spencer Dinwiddie in the offseason to free agency. Uh, and Blake Griffin, who knows if he's going to come back. So was this, you know, just a case of bad luck and injuries? Or should they seriously take a look at the, the depth around the roster, around the big three? I mean, obviously talking about the depth is, is something to talk about all around. Like it's, it's a team that everyone said, this is a title or die, title or die. And, you know, we, we saw here, uh, apparently that wasn't the case. <laughs> they, they, uh, they didn't really do well in that sense. One thing that did catch my eye in this series was the lack of usage of Nicholas Claxton, for example. Claxton only played nine minutes a game. Um, 
he was efficient in the very minimal minutes he got uh, 66% from the field. Great. But in reality, like there's, there's nothing to say there. Like he was just caught up and the team just didn't trust him in that situation. If I am the Brooklyn Nets, there's one thing that this team needs addressing. Uh, it's a big man. It really is. Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant, right? He averaged 35 games over uh, 35 games, 35 points over seven games on basically 50% from the field, 35% from three, 83 from the line. He played his guts out and it obviously it hurts him a lot when Kyrie Irving was only able to play four games. He averaged 20 points over those four games. So nothing crazy, but still, you know, not something you want to see. And James Harden, he played four games, but he played, I believe the last two, last three, um, just entirely injured. And those injuries are obviously going to come back to haunt him in that sense. Blake Griffin, he's not the Blake Griffin of old, but he's still going to be serviceable for them as a solid starter at that power forward position. If I am the Brooklyn Nets, I wouldn't really be like, oh, you know, like we need to blow it up because you don't. You know, your two best players were hurt. And obviously Joe Harris had a very, very tough series. Uh, his efficiency and his point scoring almost non-existent compared to what he was doing in the regular season. So that's one point of contention there. But if if I'm running the front office, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that Spencer Dinwiddie's not coming back and try to put the little bit of money that he has to bring in a veteran in the upcoming free agent class uh, to play the center position. Uh, I don't know who's in this FA class at that position. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll mention it later, but I really do feel like that's the way to go for them. Uh, one guy that I thought would be solid for them to pick up because I don't think it would have been too expensive for them was Moses Brown. But, you know, we'll talk about Moses Brown a bit later, later, uh, a bit later on. Uh, I'm, my apologies. I cannot word today, but, but yeah, um, that's just how I feel it's going to turn out. I think that's going to be very interesting all around, but uh, the Nets, they're a super team. They still have a three-headed monster, and they're guys that are all over in their prime. And that's it is what it is. You know, it is what it is in that situation. Just trust what you have here because James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant are still amazing. Just build around them with the supporting cast and do the best that you can because there's going to be a veteran out there that are going to be like, hey, this is a team that can win a championship. I want to be a part of it. And you can definitely pick someone up on the veterans minimum. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you in saying that they shouldn't look at this too harshly, at this loss too harshly. They should, you know, they, they have the big three. They have James Harden. They have Kyrie Irving. They have Kevin Durant. That's your core. And honestly, if they don't win a championship, that's on them because you put the team together, you know, and you have to obviously su support them because there are only three players. You know, basketball, you have to have five players on the court. You have to have two solid players to surround them. And, you know, they fail to deploy their team uh, properly in this series, in my opinion. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Nick Claxton, but I'm also going to bring up Landry Shamit as another guy, you know, that they could have uh, definitely, you know, like, put on to play. You know, Shamit is a guy with the history of being a good three-point shooter. Obviously, he's had some struggles in the past, but, you know, with Joe Harris not finding his, his groove in the series and him – like still putting him up on the court for 46 minutes in game seven when he hasn't been playing, it has to be a flaw, right? So I would, if I was the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, you know, I would give, I would have given Landry Shaman more looks on the court, but you know, it's unfortunate that it, it turned out this way for, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, because you know, a lot of the, the stars 
know, went down with injuries or came back and played with an injury. And you know, it's it just an unfortunate circumstance, uh, very unlucky, but that's the way basketball is. You're going to have to deal with injuries and you're going to have to learn how to play around them. You know, we've seen it in years past that teams always, always have injuries late in the season, especially in the playoffs and a championship is kind of revolved around, you know, some team having injury luck and, you know, the Brooklyn Nets didn't have it this time around, but I'm looking at the game as a whole. And I mentioned it earlier, if that shot, that forced overtime went in for KD, you know, the NBA world would be a lot different. You know, it's a legacy defining shot. He's won game seven for them uh, against the uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is one of the three players in NBA history to win an NBA uh, All-Star MVP and MVP and a defensive player of the year in his in his career. And he's already done that in a short, in a short career. You know, he, Giannis Antetokounmpo, if he retired after the season, he's a Hall of Famer regardless, right? So if KD hits that shot, his legacy is, is defined as one of the best players to ever play the game, in my opinion, because he has... One, uh, a, a crucial game seven over a, a monster of a player, and you know he would prove a lot of the, a lot of the doubters wrong, and I think he already did, but it would have further certified that opinion, and you know it, it would have looked different after his career would have been over, but even now, the the Nets would be in, in the conference finals against the Hawks, like how the whole season would be different. A lot of people's storylines coming into the year of the Nets running the table. Could have possibly come true if his if his if he was a size ten instead of him having like such a long long feet. So, um, the diff- the NBA world would have been so much different if KD's shot was a three instead of a two. Because when it went in, I thought it was a three. I know a lot of my friends thought it was a three. I didn't realize it was a two until the uh, TNT put up the ticker. So, the the NBA different world would be so much different right now if he hit that shot. Um, but you know the 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 Nets were up 2-0 in the series. And regardless of them having bad injury luck, you know, if you are up 2-0 in a series and you come back and lose, a lot of people would think that's a choke. And we both mentioned it like earlier. We don't think that the Brooklyn Nets should really look at this series too harshly, but a lot of the fans or a lot of people uh, in the media are saying that the Nets choked the series because they were up 2-0. Do I think this is a choke? No. But Julian, what do you think? No, this is this is not a choke because one thing is choking when all your best players aren't performing. Another thing is choking when you only have one of your big three players and your supporting cast doesn't show up, but your star does. Like if you, if you say Kevin Durant choked, then you clearly, you, even if you're someone that just looks at the box score, then you're clearly not even like paying attention. You're just biased against Kevin Durant. In what almost two consecutive almost 50 point games. Like he's been insane in these past games. He's he's killing himself out there. He's he's just putting his heart and soul into everything to try to get it. But James Harden was clearly unhealthy. He's out there because in the end, even an unhealthy Harden will help to an extent. And Kyrie Irving was out for the series after the first couple of games. And that's just that's painful. That's painful for, for him. It's painful for all of them. James Harden was looking forward to getting his first ring. Kyrie was looking to get his second. KD was trying to finally get a ring that counts. But, you know, I personally think that all his rings in Golden State count. Like, obviously, some rings are going to weigh more than other ones. Like, don't get me wrong. You can't exactly compare a 2016 and a and a 2011 to, let's say, a 2017 ring. Like, there, there's levels to this aspect. But those rings, in the end, still count. 
And the people that just slam KD for it, like they're just people that aren't appreciating the greatness that he has. Um, so this was huge for Kevin Durant's legacy. But should it be classified as a choke? I know people will. And in the future, people will classify it as a huge choke because they'll be like basing it off of awards one and everything. And they'll be like, oh, Giannis Antetokounmpo with a supporting cast of scrubs because, you know, Chris Middleton and Drew Hall, they won't appear as like these crazy players due to accolades over time. It's like, oh, Giannis carried this Bucks team after being down against the stacked Nets team. And people will just ignore the the context to it. But I feel like if we're going to look at it right now and how we should look at it in the future, uh, you can't really hold this against Kevin Durant. You can't hold this against the Nets. It's not really a choke. It's just, it is what it is for them. Injuries are horrible. Injuries happen in the NBA. You hope that doesn't happen at all. And I wouldn't classify it as a choke either. Yeah. I, if the people that do classify it as a choke, I think they seriously need to look at the series as a whole and see what happened game by game, because I know you saw it. You know, I saw it. The Nets were decimated with injuries throughout the entire series. And if they did have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and KD all fully healthy, I don't think anybody would say that the Bucks would come out uh, on the win. I think the Nets would, I think most people would say the Nets would come out with the win here. So, so people saying that this is a choke, I've, <laughs> They, they need to seriously look at, at this series. Um, however, you know, the, the Nets, following their loss, Spencer Dinwiddie uh, opted out of his contract, uh, and he is officially going to become an unrestricted free agent. And I don't think he's going to resign um, with the Nets. I think that he probably is going to look somewhere else because, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's a guy that and he's not that young. He's probably going to look for a nice contract. A lot of people know what he can do on the court. You know, it was unfortunate for him this year that he tore his ACL extremely early into the season. Uh, but how much would this affect the Nets if he doesn't resign, Julian? Because I think it will affect the Nets great, like a, a lot because they are losing another guy that could create that is not one of the big three. Uh, and do you think that he even would resign in the first place? Uh, I think he would resign in the first place because obviously, as I mentioned earlier, it's a big three. It's, it's a assured ring. It's a chance to win in the NBA Obviously, that's something to look at, but you know, Dinwiddie he also wants to get paid. And in situations like Brooklyn and a guy at the current point of his career like Spencer Dinwiddie, he's not going to take that pay cut to stay in Brooklyn, especially if he's not going to be a starter. Like if, if he ends up staying, I'd be very, very surprised if he ends up starting because uh what are the are the Nets gonna run what KD at center, Harden at small forward? And then so they can start Dimwitty at either the one or the two. And then they have Joe Harris at the four. Like, I don't think so. Like, that doesn't make sense to me, at least. So I really feel like he is going to be leaving so he can get a chance to shine, so to say, elsewhere. But I also don't think he's going to affect the Nets that much. Uh, Dimwitty was out for almost the entirety of the season. Like, the few, the little bit of chemistry that was built for them uh, during this time, mainly because of the fact, uh, also mentioned earlier, due to injuries, it's played the Nets all year, actually. I'm pretty sure Harden, Irving, and Durant, they only played, like, what, six, seven games together in the entirety of the season? Like, Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Like Their chemistry is good to an extent, but still isn't great. Dimwitty didn't play, like, any games with them at all. He was out injured for most of the year. Obviously, he's going to want to get paid. He's gonna, he wants to be treated as a rising star option, which I think there will be a team that throws that to him. Uh, 
<coughs> Sacramento. <coughs> um, but, but yeah, in this aspect, it's just it's going to be hard to call because in the end, we don't know what goes through NBA players' minds. You know, like NBA players are – some of them will be in it more for the money, others more for the winning – it just comes down to it, but I don't think Dinwiddie's coming back, but I also don't think it's going to affect them greatly. If I were the Nets, if Dinwiddie walks, which he probably will, uh, he had, I believe, what, $12 million on his contract this past season, and he was going to have it on his player option this coming year as well. If I'm them, I would try to re- reallocate that money into a big man because it was noticeable. Nick Claxton, decent player, don't get me wrong, but he isn't. He isn't anything special in all honesty. Like he comes, it comes down to that. He he can fill the role that they need, but you know, if I'm them, I will try to pursue something with that money uh, in the free agency class. Yeah, you know, I kind of disagree a little bit because I think I do I agree in saying that Spencer Dinwiddie will leave because I think he wants to get paid this coming season, but I think that this will affect the Nets more than people expect. I think the injuries and the loss to Dinwiddie hurt them a lot this year. Dinwiddie was a guy, when they got KD and Kyrie, and you surround that with, I know Karis LeVert is gone, but when KD and Kyrie signed, Karis LeVert was there. So you surrounded uh, a good bench core along with two superstars. You know, you would get an NBA championship caliber team. And, you know, them, obviously they lost uh, LeVert in the, the Harden trade, but losing Dinwiddie was something that they didn't expect to happen. And it, it hurt them a lot because he's another guy – Outside of the, the big three that could have soared, you know, Joey, right now, the only person that they have that can do that, uh, like from from range is uh, Joe Harris. You know, Blake Griffin is not he's a decent three point shooter, but he's not known for his, you know, his his three point shooting. He's known for his paint dominance. Right. So yeah. Spencer Dinwiddie isn't a guy that, you know, he can beat you off the dribble. He can create his own shot. Uh, and he's a good role player that would have helped the Nets a lot in this series. And it probably won't affect them too much but i still think it it will hurt them if they if they can't resign him um but it's they're in a tricky situation they don't have a lot of cap room and they need they need a big man and spencer didn't but he is not that but it, it would help them a lot if they if they had him coming into the next year because i think they would be in a better position um going into the playoffs or even going into the regular season yeah for sure i mean like that's obviously an aspect to it but I mean, I've like I said, he didn't play this season at all. And yes, he was on the roster, and so was Karis Levert, and so were other people when it was just KD and Kyrie. But now you throw in James Harden in the mix, Levert isn't there. Uh Dinwiddie hasn't played with them during the entire this season, and he's going to be playing in the same position as Harden as Kyrie. He is a play, he's a he is a shot creator for them. Don't get me wrong, he would be an amazing bench option for them, but I don't think that he's gonna want to. He's not gonna want to at all, and I don't think it's gonna affect the Nets as much because like I said earlier, he hasn't played this entire season, basically. And if he hasn't played, it's going to be very, very hard for them to get that chemistry. Obviously, it's going to hurt them when it comes down to talent because it's talent. You know, the more talent you have in an NBA roster, the better you're going to have a chance to win because you don't know who's going to pop off each day. It's going to be harder to guard on the defensive side for your opposition. But Dinwiddie barely played. And if we're talking chemistry and everything, the team isn't no longer, he's no longer the guy on this team. He's no longer going to be like the third star on this team. Like he was going to be originally when it was just uh, KD and Kyrie. Like now 
he's he's off the bench now he isn't that star and it's not going to affect him that much obviously some guys it will affect because they have been training with him they know him he's a friend and everything but in the end i, I just don't think it's going to happen i really 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 just don't think it's going to happen at all and it is what it is when it comes down to it. i don't think he's going to be missed in Brooklyn in the sense of on-court production, maybe off the court in the locker room where people see him more and everything, he'll be missed more. But if we're talking on-court product, if we're talking um, chemistry, I don't think he's going to be as severely missed. Uh, yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from and the fact that he hasn't played. Uh, but I think we both can say that he, he would have been a great uh, addition to this Nets roster if he was healthy in this For series. Sure. Um, Okay, it's moving on to the Bucks side of things. Uh, they came out with the dub in Game 7. You know, they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Their season is not over. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and he came to play in Game 7. He had 40 points, I think 11 rebounds and 3 assists. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact stat line. 13 rebounds and 5 assists, actually. Well, he... he silence a lot of doubters a lot of people saying Giannis is only a regular season player he's a fraud he doesn't know uh how to play in the playoffs and you know before this season you know a lot of those headlines and those storylines about Giannis you know some people would say yeah they're kind of true because every time they face the tough opponent in the playoffs the Bucks have lost in the Giannis era they've lost and for finally for the first time they came out with the victory and Giannis is a large reason for that because he came to play in Game Seven. But his supporting cast and and Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, <laughs> I don't think they did because both of them had horrid shooting nights. They did come alive when it mattered the most late in overtime and then regulation late in the regulation and overtime. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday hit a couple of clutch threes. Chris Middleton, you know, got a really clutch uh, fadeaway jumper uh, that gave him the lead. I'm pretty sure. And then Chris Middleton also had a great. Played defensively when he picked the pockets of KD, went the other way, got to the line late in regulation. So, you know, they came up clutch when it mattered, but throughout the game, they were both not shooting well, you know. And if performances like these continue for the Bucs and from like from Giannis's supporting cast, I don't think they'll be in good shape to, to win the, the Larry O'Brien trophy at the end of it because Giannis is one guy, he can't do everything. And, you know, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they're good players, they're really. Uh, in my opinion, I don't think Chris Middleton is as good as a lot of people give him credit for, but he's still a really, really, really good player. And if if they can't, uh, you know, keep playing well later on in these playoffs, I don't think they'll be in a good spot to win it all. But, you know, Chris Middleton, you know, he can turn it around and <clears throat> pardon me, but he can turn it around and, uh, you know, have those games that a lot of people were praising him for um, in the regular season and the past playoffs. And uh, I, I think that the Bucks, you know, I'll talk, we'll talk about it later, but I think the, the Bucks will end up in the NBA Finals. Uh, and I think a lot of that will have to do with Giannis, but I think Milton will turn it around. But if he continues playing like this, they're going to be in a bad, bad spot. But do you think, Julian, do you think that this uh, Middleton and Holiday will keep playing like this? Or or do you think that they will come alive uh, and help Giannis uh, shoulder the weight of this Bucks roster? I mean, in my opinion, Drew Holiday, he he wasn't brought into this team to be a primary scorer. Uh, Middleton and Giannis, they are the score, so to say. Drew was providing some spacing, just how Brooke, Brooke Lopez was assigning uh, a couple of years ago. But Drew Holiday, he was brought in to do the one thing that the Bucks couldn't do with Eric Bledsoe, and that's put a guy on the best guard on the opposition team. And he had to cover Irving. He had to cover Harden. And yes, 
Kyrie got hurt, and then he also Harden was hurt, and he had to play through injury. But still, an injured Harden, as I've said earlier, can do a lot of damage. Drew Holiday was brought in to be a defender. His stats don't jump out at you. Don't get me wrong, because he, he had a very torrid shooting night. What was it? It was five twenty three. Uh, from the field, two for nine from three. Chris Middleton also efficiency-wise was not great. Nine for 26 from the field, two for seven from three. He shot from three worse than Giannis, which is hilarious considering how much people uh, get on Giannis about the fact that he doesn't have a jump shot. Uh, that just goes to show how bad Chris Middleton had a shooting. Night, along with Drew Holiday, who didn't do well. Someone who did shoot well was Brooke Lopez. Uh, three for four from three. Uh, seven for 11 from the field. He had a solid game. No one's really talking about it, but Splash Mountain did well as a supporting cast piece. Pat Connaughton off the bench did solid for them as well. Um, but yeah, is this a contending team? Where do I think this is going to go? I think Chris Middleton's going to up his play, especially against Atlanta. Uh, obviously, spoiler, I guess. We haven't spoken about Atlanta Philly yet, but you know, Bucks will be taking on Atlanta in the next round. I feel like Chris Middleton's really going to step up and we're definitely going to be seeing Drew Holiday on the defensive end having to cover uh, Trey Young. That's going to be a, a tougher series than I think most people are giving it credit for, but I really do think Chris Middleton is going to turn it around on the offensive side of the ball, and Giannis is still going to be hooping the way he does. I think they're going to make the finals for sure. Like I, I'll be very, very surprised if the Bucs don't get past Atlanta. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you in saying that. I, I will be shocked if – the Bucks don't make the finals this year because you know Atlanta is good. You know you got to give them credit. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Like I said, but the Bucks they are the better team in that series, in my opinion. I think they they will come out and they should come out of that series. And you know you mentioned Giannis, you know having uh, doubts of him shooting, uh, poor shooting, and uh, a lot of it is yeah him from the three, but at the free throw line, Giannis is still having struggles. What is what is happening with him at the free throw line? You got the, the fans counting. The uh, count. You got him You got him airballing a couple free throws in this game. You know, we saw that happen like a few years ago when, you know, uh, the Bucks faced the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, you saw uh, him airball a couple of uh, key shots. Drake was laughing at him at the on the court side. And, you know, two years later, Giannis is still dealing with these things. Is this like a lack of poor development from him? Or how is he going to be able to fix this? Because this is a this is a pretty prevalent issue with him at the free throw line. Yeah, he did make a, a lot of those shots after. But, you know, he, in the, late in the game, you know, can you trust Giannis at the free throw line? Or is it going to be some a similar situation uh, to Ben Simmons where, you know, you have to literally sub him out because you don't want teams fouling him? I mean, Giannis, even like he isn't the best at the free throw line, but, you know, he can still hit them. You know, like Ben Simmons is putrid at the free throw line. Like he's what, 30 something percent? Like he, he's what we made fun of Lonzo Ball like in his rookie year at the free throw line. And still, to be fair. And yeah, Giannis isn't exactly like the clutchest free throw shooter, but he shoots at around a 60% clip. That's still enough to be like, okay, like, you know, they're going to hack him. It's going to be painful to see him, but like, you still can't sub him out. And especially if you compare his impact to like Ben Simmons on the team, like, I don't think you can sub out Giannis in clutch game situations because like, no disrespect to Ben Simmons, but Ben Simmons isn't the top option. He isn't the guy in Philadelphia. That's Joel Embiid. And on offense, like we've seen it this season as well, the secondary option has not been Ben Simmons either. It's just been Tobias Harris, who's been very, very solid for Philadelphia this year as well. 
So he's not necessary in that aspect. And Philadelphia knows that he's going to get hacked. So he gets subbed out. On the flip side, Giannis is the guy in Milwaukee. Regardless of how he is at the free throw line, you can't just sub him out. It's like LeBron James. LeBron James isn't good at the free throw line either, but you can't just sub him out at the end of a game, especially in a close series. You can't do that. It's LeBron. It's their star player. It's the marquee guy. So his free throws, they need to get better um, for sure. <laughs> like there, there's no way around it. Like if, if they're not going to get better, then, oh man, the, the Bucks are in for a rude awakening and they might've found their ceiling. But seriously though, like he should be on that court regardless on how he is shooting from the field. He's their guy and the team is going to live and die by the actions of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, I definitely agree in saying that. They sh- it shouldn't be a situation like Ben Simmons because uh, Giannis is the guy in Milwaukee. He is, like I said earlier, one of the three players in NBA history, history, the entirety of the history of the NBA, one of three players to win an MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and the NBA All-Star MVP in his career. You know, Giannis is that good of a player, and he's good defensively as well, so you don't want to sub him out. And if it gets to that point, like Ben Simmons, if he if if it is a problem where he his free throw shooting even gets worse, it has to be you have to look at Giannis's mental and and say it's a something's going on in between the ears with him, man. Like it, it's sometimes you can see when he's missing the free throws, he's clearly frustrated. And of course, you're gonna be frustrated at yourself, but I think it's the the, the pressure a little bit of it is coming, it's getting to his head. And you know, if he can get past that, you know, he got past. Know being a tough opponent, if you can get past those issues at the free throw line, Johannes is probably going to be unstoppable. Because how do you beat him? How, how do you beat him? You have to make him shoot, pass it off. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of the team's strategy is trying to hack Giannis and see what happens at the free throw line. Because you know, if he gets into the paint, he he is going to score. He was the most efficient uh, volume scorer in the paint this season, and because that's how good he is. Uh, and you don't want him to be put in that, those spots because he's that talented on the court. But, you know, he has to get past those issues at the free throw line in his head. And I don't think it's definitely not as bad as Ben Simmons. That's a story we'll, we'll talk on in a few, minute, a few minutes. But Giannis does have some issues and he needs to get past it. Um, you know, one thing that I really, really liked uh, from the series from Milwaukee is Mike Booneholzer making some adjustments. I do think, uh, you know, a lot of people were calling for his head after his loss to the Miami Heat last year. But I do think this year he he did silence a lot of those questions about him. He made some adjustments, not a lot, not the ones that I would like to see. Uh, but I like him going to Giannis at the end of the game in ISO situation, situations against KD. Because we all knew KD was going to be the man guarding Giannis. And he cleared up the court and yet let Giannis do the work. You know, that's something that he wasn't doing last year or last year or the year before in the playoffs, he wasn't letting Giannis do his thing because teams were swarming him. You know, he cleared out the uh, the core for him, let Giannis do his thing, and let Giannis score because he's your go-to guy. And I like Bud making those adjustments. You know, how good was his coaching? It was decent. It was better than uh, in the past. But he, he, he still isn't the best coach or doesn't deserve, in my opinion, a lot of the praise that he gets. Uh, he's probably one of the more polarizing coaches in the league. And in my opinion, if this season for Brunholzer, it's a win or bust for him. If he doesn't, at the end of the year, if he's not raising Larry O'Brien, 
he he probably would be gone, and I think he should be gone because there's another coach out there that could uh, lead Giannis and the Bucks to the uh, to the promised land. And if Budenholzer is not that guy, uh, you're not going to have a better year to prove it. And this is the year to prove it for Budenholzer. I don't I don't think his coaching um, was that good this this. Uh, the series, but it definitely was better. You can see some, you know, adjustments being made. So, you know, in your opinion, Julian, how how good was Budenholzer's coaching in the series? I mean, his his coaching wasn't necessarily bad. Like he had to out coach Steve Nash, who had not done any coaching during the entire of the season. So, you know, like matchup wise against coaches, you know, not exactly uh, difficult. But, like, you can definitely tell in certain moments, like, the, he left a lot to be wanted, you know? Like, he, there's a lot still out there for him to unlock on this team. Uh, you mentioned earlier the wall technique that the Raptors had against Giannis. We saw the Heat do it last year. The Nets didn't have that structure, but they tried it. And But another thing that really helped the Bucks out was the fact that they have shooters around Giannis. Like, it's... It's interesting because most people won't talk about that. They'll be like, oh, Giannis can't shoot, so they're screwed. And it's like, I mean, with proper coaching, he's going to rely a lot on his supporting cast, but it really opens up the space. Like P.J. Tucker can shoot from three, shot three for five in the elimination game. I already mentioned Brooke Lopez. And even though Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton didn't have good shooting nights, we know that they can hit the three ball with decent consistency. And off the bench, Bryn Forbes has already proven that he can hit it as well. So it comes down to that. The problem for the Bucks is their coaching. I don't, I don't think anyone can really debate that at this point. Um, I agree with your point that for Coach Bud, it's championship or bust. And in all honesty, like even if they do win a championship, I don't think Bud's going to stick around unless Giannis tells the front office, I want Bud to stick around. I think the Bucks are going to go in a different direction. They, if they have eyes, they can definitely tell what has been happening this entire season and how it's really been hurting them. And we're just going to have to see how that ends up turning out for them uh, during the rest of this playoffs. But Coach Bud, he he hadn't had to coach anyone seriously uh, throughout the playoff. Obviously, Eric Spolstra, uh, he didn't exactly out-coach him. The team just absolutely demolished the heat without a problem. But we saw last year when it comes to coaching, Coach Spo is miles ahead of Coach Bud. And in this series, he had to take on Steve Nash, who – despite being an absolutely amazing player, he's still very new to the coaching scene. He didn't have to coach that much in the entirety of the game. So now that he had to, since Harden was not at a hundred percent and Kyrie was out, it was definitely noticeable for the Brooklyn Nets. So coach, Bud, now he's going to go up against Nate McMillan in the next round. He's done a great job when it comes to the coaching. And then on the other side, he's going to have to take on uh, either Tyron Lou, who has been solid, as a coach, or he's going to have to take on uh, Monty Williams, who has been on the forefront of the transformation of the Suns over the past couple seasons. So for now, it's going to get tougher, bud. And if you aren't going to be making changes at all, they're going to come for you. Atlanta's been coming towards everyone. They're the underdogs. Don't sleep on the A. Yeah, I I'm going to say, like, I kind of agree with you that, like, if uh, this coming, coming matchup with him and 
and McMillan, it's going to be the toughest matchup he's had in this in these playoffs. And if the Bucks don't come out on top, you know, bud, you're gone. It's that simple. Because um, if you look at at this Bucks roster, they are built to win. You have Giannis. You know, he's going to – we all know he's a physical specimen. You know, he's going to get you baskets – Near, uh, near the paint, in the paint, near the basket. He's going to get you buckets like that, you know? And you have him surrounded with great three-point shooters like Chris Middleton, who has been able to hit, like you said, three points to decent consistency. You have uh, guys like Brooke Lopez, Splash Mountain. This is nickname for a reason. You know, you have P.J. Tucker, who's been one of the best in the three, uh, three-point corner shooters um, in, the, in recent memory. So you have him surrounded with great three-point shooters uh, along with a great facilitator, great slasher, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. One of the best that we've ever seen in the history of the league, right? And this team is built to win. And if you can't do that, it's a problem on you, bud. It's a problem on you. And you need to figure it out. And if you can't, you need to go. And if this is, if this is, if he doesn't figure out this time, that would be his third failed opportunity to make the finals or make it uh, a decent reason to show that why he deserves to stay and and if he doesn't do that it's out that simple no i mean i agree entirely one thing that we do also need to point out in this aspect i'm going to ask you this question we've seen it in nba history when it comes to championship rosters the most prominent and recent example for me is the toronto raptors obviously there is that example but there also is, if you want to be even more technical, and it was more the coach change than anything, uh, the Warriors. You know, they had a coach, Mark Jackson, very, very good. He's the one that got all the pieces together. He's the one that brought in Draymond. He's the one that finally started giving Clay and Steph that green light. But they just couldn't win. He was a floor raiser. And then you have, you have that man, the current coach. I don't know why I'm blanking on it right now. That is embarrassing. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Why was I blanking on that? I have no <laughs> clue. Um, but like he, when you watched him this past season, the Warriors didn't have the best roster or anything. And you can tell that talent certainly carried his coaching. Like he's not a bad coach, but you can tell that it was way more because of Steph Curry's talent rather than the coaching. But when you have that team all set up together, when you had the prime Draymond, when you had Clay fully healthy, and then when you had Kevin Durant during those two, three years that they had, like he knew how to manage them and he knew how to coach them. He was a ceiling raiser. And what we're seeing right now with the Bucks, specifically with Coach Bud, is this is the year where he's going to define what jobs he's going to get for the rest of his career. Is he going to be a floor raiser or is he going to be a ceiling raiser? Like this playoffs is what's going to define it his lack of changes have already demonstrated at least to me that he's just going to be a floor raising coach like yes he's the one that was able to bring out the best in Chris Middleton and show everyone what he can do show everyone what Giannis can do and help speed up his development after the stint with Jason Kidd as coach but if he can't get him over the hump and help coach and maximize what they have right now that that just goes to show that he is a floor raiser instead of a ceiling raiser and so that's where I ask you, Elias. Like, what do you think about that? Like, do you think Coach Bud is going to be remembered as someone who can raise the ceiling of a team, or is he just going to be a coach that can help uh, lift the team up, but not really reach that maximum potential once they already have shown their talent? That he he is definitely not a ceiling raiser, in my opinion. Because 
we've seen it in the past with the Atlanta Hawks. He raised the floor of that team to a team that became you know, first in the Eastern Conference, you know, made the conference finals, but they got demolished in those conference finals against a injury riddled Cavaliers team. They got demolished. It's that simple. He he raises the floor of players, but he can't raise the ceiling. And he's proven that in the past with his former teams, and he's proven that now with the Milwaukee Bucks. He he can't do that. It's not his his uh in his ability as a coach. You know, a very similar coach to me and uh with Mike Boonholzer is Dwayne Casey. Because Dwayne Casey was with the Toronto Raptors. You mentioned it uh in when you talked about the Raptors a few moments ago, but Dwayne Casey was with the Raptors for like seven years. And he was a good coach. Like, like he was good. he was a great coach. He won coach of the year, like for a reason. Dwayne he Casey's in the floor. Exactly. Like he did. He's, he's an amazing coach with uh for the Toronto Raptors. And he he raised he elevated DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry's status in the NBA. Plain simple. Yep. Everybody knows that. But once he was removed from that position. We saw what Nick Nurse did with uh, the team. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, it's Kawhi Leonard. If Dwayne Casey had Kawhi Leonard, he would have done the same. But Nick Nurse was able to take the Kawhi Leonard and employ it properly defensively and offensively. The struggles with Dwayne Casey were he can't do that much offensively. He's not an offensive-minded coach. He's a defensive-minded coach. You yeah. saw it. You know, he, that's what he was with the uh, Dallas Mavericks when he won the championship with them in, in 2011. He was their defensive coach. He was a large reason why, in my opinion, the Dallas Mavericks won that series because of how they were playing defense against LeBron. But that's besides the point. Dwayne Casey was a floor raiser. Mike Budenholzer is another floor raiser. He cannot raise the ceiling and the ability and the talents of the, of the team around him. He has to, you know... Uh, be removed from that position, in my opinion, if if the Bucks want to seriously contend for years and years on end. Because in my opinion, they, they kind of got lucky this year. If the Nets were healthy, they, I don't think they would have won. So if if they want to be able to beat the Nets when they're fully healthy, Mike Blumholzer can't be their coach, even if he wins the championship this year. It's cha- like I said earlier, it's championship or bust for him, but I think it's a lose-lose situation for him at the end yeah. anyways. Because if he doesn't win, they got to go. He, he got to go. And if they do win, look, you did them great here. You won us a championship, but let's mutually part ways that they'll probably say half the championship if yeah. they do win. But like another coach that is similar to that, it, it, almost the exact opposite of Mike Budenholzer is Nate McMillan. Let's move on and talk about the Hawks and Sixers here. Nate McMillan is a guy that is a ceiling raiser. You saw it when he, he, a lot of people said that he's just a floor raising coach. He did that with Damian Lillard. You know, he was doing it with the Indiana Pacers and Dirk Core and DeMontis Sabonis. But look, you, he has proven it this year that his ceiling, his ability as a coach is not what he was said to be. He is a ceiling raiser. And in my opinion, he deserves a lot of credit for turning around this, this Hawks team. At the beginning of the year with Lloyd Pierce, they were like 11th in the, in the Eastern Conference, you saw Trey Young's confidence. It was down. He wasn't um, performing as well as people expected him to. You know, a lot, coming into the season, the Hawks were getting so much praise, so much hype, and they they fell off a cliff. They they didn't even live up to that, not even close. Nick McMillan came around. They, they went on a winning streak. They're good. They won first round, five games into the next. A lot of people thought that series was going to go to the distance. Five games. They beat... The Philadelphia 76ers, who a lot of people had going to the Eastern Conference Finals, if not the finals this year, right? So Nate McMillan deserves a lot of that praise, in my opinion. 
But Julian, what do you think? What do you think about Nate McMillan as a coach and how much credit does he deserve for turning around the Sox team, um, especially this season and in this series against the Sixers? I mean, first of all, he deserves all the praise that he can get so far because Atlanta really were seemingly on a down spiral before he came in and they were able to get it sorted. He was able to sort out Trey Young's confidence. He was able to help them out in that sense. But we also did see that in Indiana. You know, DeMontis Abonis was considered a type of guy same with Oladipo and what happened well to put it bluntly to put it very very simply like he found their potentials he raised the floor of that team you didn't take him much further I'm and he also did the same thing with Dame he really helped unlock Dame a little bit when he was in Portland so the question still I think he's still up in the air compared to coach Bud because coach Bud has demonstrated over several gigs in the past that he is a floor raiser and that's just what he is. But I feel like this Atlanta Hawks team specifically, McMillan has this playoffs and then he has the next season to prove if he is a ceiling or a floor type of coach. I still think he's a floor type of coach. Like don't, no disrespect to him. It doesn't mean that he is a bad coach, but based off of the past jobs that he's had, like he has raised the floor of teams tremendously. We saw it with the Pacers and we saw it with the Trailblazers and we see it this year so far with the Hawks. Cause I don't think anyone could have predicted how far they've made it. Um, so we're going to ask ourselves that into the future. Is he a ceiling coach or is he a floor coach? I still think he is a floor coach and he will raise it for any team that he's on. He will find your star like, or he'll develop your star, but I don't think he's going to be the coach that is there for you when you hoist the Larry O'Brien. See, I kind of see what you're saying um, in in terms of Nate McMillan being a four four coach, uh, but I I also think that you know, the difference with him and Bud is that Mike Budenholzer is a floor coach and he has no potential beyond being that. That simple. Nate McMillan is a four coach now, but he has the potential to be a shooting coach and he could be. And if it all turns out well with this amount of the Hawks, it could be with this team. He could be that coach there when they lift the Larry O'Brien trophy. He deserves a lot of credit, as we, we both agree on saying that. He deserves a lot of praise for Nate, for turning this team around and for, you know, giving Trey Young that confidence. You know, if, if Lloyd Pierce was their head coach, I don't think we would see Trey Young doing the bow. I don't think we'll see Trey Young say, hey, come back to the A, let's see what happens. I don't think we will see that happening. But with Nate Willen, he has a lot more confidence, you know, to – on the court and off the court it's it's exuberating through him you know so the fact that you know make McMillan has been has that ability to turn the roster around he deserves deserves a lot of credit and i think that he could be a coach that becomes a, a, a could be is a coach that could be a ceiling coach uh after being a four well mike Boonholzer, there is no potential for that and that's the difference between those two and it's going to be interesting battle in the eastern conference finals um Talking about Trey Young, I, I mentioned him earlier. He has a lot of confidence. You know, you just saw him with his antics against the New York Knicks. A lot of people love to hate him, uh, or you'd love to love him. I know Julian, he is your favorite player in the NBA right now. It's not not for a lot of people, though, not for a lot of others, but for you, he is. Uh, I have one simple question for you, Julian. One simple, simple, simple question. How special is Trey Young? Oh, man. You see, there's, there, I think Trey Young, people are looking at him in an interesting way. You know, like people don't like him for what he says or they love him for what he says. I love him for what he does because in the end, the NBA 
is a company. They're trying to sell you a product. It's about the entertainment. And we're going to have very, very amazing players that are just going to wow us with their talent. But we have guys like Joel Embiid, Trey Young, that are, they will trash talk you. They will do chirping. They make it fun to watch, you know? And how special is Trey Young? Trey Young is, he, I believe he's on the Steph Curry course of a career. I don't think he's going to reach the same heights as Curry at all. I really don't. But I think like he saw what Curry's did and said, all right, if someone's going to put that faith in me, I'm going to repay them. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to give it 120%. And he's just demonstrated that. That's just what he's been doing. And, you know, McMillan came in, gave him the key, said, all right, man, you know, be confident. Shoot, you do you, baby. And Trey Young just took it and ran. And he's proven it this entire season. I love Trey Young a lot, not only because of the fact that he can shoot the lights out, but also the fact that he is a showman, right? And for anyone listening, I don't know about you, Ilias, but in terms of WWE, everyone knows about like the pretty boy, the face, so to say, and the heel, the heel that like either people hate him or they love him, but he's always the guy who does the chirp. And he's always the one that talks a lot. Like he's the bad guy, you know, and I would be incredibly surprised if the NBA doesn't start pushing as of next season, the narrative of good guy versus heel with Luka Doncic and Trey Young. They were literally traded for each other. They're the same draft class. They play the same position. They're two of the best young stars in the league. And next season, we're going to be seeing analysts and whatnot be talking about either Luka winning the MVP or maybe Trey winning the MVP. Like We're going to see those conversations. We're going to be seeing it throughout the seasons. I'll be very, very surprised if no one starts talking about that in a comparative sense. But I think that's just the perfect business move for the NBA to start marketing it like that. Like, don't get me wrong. I get why people, some people don't like Trey Young. I personally love Luka Doncic as well. Like his talent is amazing. He represents international players very well. He opens up the market. He's made me very, very uh, open to Victor Wimbenyanga when who's coming into the NBA. I probably just butchered his name, but I'm very, very excited for him because he's coming into the NBA for even what, two seasons or something? Like that's how he's projected to go. I'm looking forward to see what he can do because he's also a player coming from Europe. He's someone... Luca has made us more open to the international game than most other international prospects have in the past, but he's not going to chirp. Like he'll complain. He'll chirp a little bit and everything. But if you see how the NBA like shows off how he does, it's always like, look how good Luca is at basketball. Look how good of a teammate Luca is like, look at all these good things for Luca. And you see for Trey, they're, they're starting the show. They're like, look at him chirp. Look at him talk to New York. Look at him, you know, taunt these people. Look at him wave. Look at like, they're showing all these things, and it comes down to that entertainment aspect. Like I said, I'll be very, very surprised if they're not going to start marketing Hawks uh, Mavericks games as it's a duel between the good guy and the bad guy or something of the sort, right? But like the NBA needs to advertise it like that, and that would not be possible, not because of how Trey Young is as a person, but also how he is as a player. If Trey Young wasn't as good as he was, there's no way that you'd be able to market it that way. But the talent that he has, the special aspect that he has, and add to that the entertainment value that he brings – he is the point guard version of Joel Embiid in the sense of entertainment aspect in the NBA. You know, the reasons why you love Trey Young are very similar to the reasons why I began to love Jamal Murray as an NBA player. Because early in his career, he was a, a guy that was known for showboating and disrespecting his opponents. Um, and, you know, I love the when people do that, I love it. I, I love people playing the heel, playing the villain role because it makes stuff entertaining and, Look, basketball, it's a sport, but we watch it to be entertained. It's that simple, right? So 
seeing people do that, it's like incredible to see. I know like Jamal Murray early in his career, you know, he still does it, but he used to do the blue, uh, the, the arrow uh, thing. And then he, he uh, stole the ball from Lonzo Ball uh, a couple of years ago against the Lakers and got in a big fight with uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. And a lot of people were hating on Jamal Murray for it. But then he kept talking, you know, that trash after. And, you know, I loved, I loved Jamal Murray for that. And a lot of people hate on him for that. I know that narrative around him has kind of died down in recent years, especially with his performance in the bubble. But, you know, early in his career, Jamal Murray was a villain. And I like villains. It's that simple. I like villains, and Trey Young is one of those villains right now. A lot of people don't like his antics on and off the court. You know him calling for fouls, and um, the NBA is going to be employing a rule next year to try and ensure that the fouls that Trey Young does draw a lot of the time won't be called. Uh, and you know, a lot of people love to hate him, but you know, I love seeing a player with confidence talking trash and showing, hey, I talk trash and I can back it up at the same time. He proved that in this series against the Sixers. And, you know, he has a great supporting cast around him. I mean, you look at Danilo Gallinari, Bogdanovich, you have John Collins, Clint Capella, and Kevin Hooter, who had a great game last night against the Sixers. You know, Sixers were talking about, hey, you know, we can't wait to, we want Kevin Durant. We want Kevin Durant. They were worried about the wrong Kevin. <laughs> they needed to get past Kevin Hooter first because he had a great game against the Sixers last night. And for a large reason he's the reason why the Sixers are not going to Milwaukee are not facing Milwaukee and Giannis um so you know Trey Young is a very special player I love him I love watching him uh I'm not an Atlanta Hawks fan I'm not a Trey Young fan but I love I know why a lot of people do love him and uh love watching him at the same time but uh I I don't I don't hate on him for sure I'll say that but on the other side of this Hawks Sixers game you know the Hawks are going on the the upswing of things you know have a great future the Sixers their future is kind of questioned. You know, I'm going to read out a tweet. It's from uh, S. Barahani, Barahani from on Twitter. I'm not sure if I just butchered his name or not. Yeah, uh, S. art, cool as dude. S. Fondiard, yeah, he's a cool awesome. dude. I, he's a really good dude. Yeah. I, I've been talking to him a few times but uh, on Twitter, but uh, I definitely I don't know how to say his name, so <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> we're we're going to need him to come on here and give you a tutorial. Give me a tutorial. I don't want to butcher it. I don't want to butcher it even further. But his tweet, he tweeted this the last night after the game. The Hawks made it to the conference finals in 2015 when Bud was their head coach and he had Paul Melsap, you know, Damari Carroll and all those guys. So the Hawks made it to the conference finals in 2015, tore everything down, went into a rebuild, and now six years later, they made it to the conference finals again, all before the Sixers even made it to one in this entire decade. That's insane because the Sixers rebuild now, a lot of people were praising for them doing it, and it's taken a long, long time. You know, with injuries to MB early in his career, Simmons missed his rookie year. Uh, you know, the, the Sixers, their rebuild was kind of delayed for a bit, but still, you know, 2021, Philly, you have never made it to a conference final. You know, not in this decade and not even since 2001, not since Allen Iverson was leading the way to face, you know, the Lakers in the final. You know, like... Sixers, what's going on? What, what do you think is going to be their next step after the series? You know, they lost, and a lot of people are calling for Ben Simmons' head. What is, what is Philly's next step? First of all, Ben Simmons needs to develop better. I still think he has it in the tank. I know a lot of people don't. A lot of people are already giving up on Ben Simmons. Like, oh, he's just a tall Alfred Payton. Oh, he shouldn't be in the NBA. He should be playing in China. Which, first of all, 
if you go to China right now and you tell a fan of the Shanghai Sharks you're getting Ben Simmons, that guy will call you crazy, but be over the moon if it's true. So the slander that people gave him, like it's it's actually ridiculous because he's still a good NBA player. He's serviceable. But what comes into question is how good is he really? I still think he has the potential to develop. And I think that's the problem that Philadelphia's had with this entire the process thing. They haven't been like they haven't hit on some picks. Don't get me wrong. Like they haven't. They missed on Nerlens Noel. They missed on Jalil Okafor. Those are the two most notable ones that come to me. Markel Fultz also comes to mind. Yeah, but if there's one thing one. that like you can tell when it comes to Philadelphia, they don't develop the talent. The guys are basically developing themselves. Joel Embiid sat out two seasons, but he trained, he worked, and he he's at this point not because of the Philadelphia developmental system. It's because of how he's worked to get to this point, right? Ben Simmons hasn't had that support from Philadelphia either, and he also hasn't worked as hard as Joel Embiid, which I think no one really talks about because Joel Embiid, as I mentioned earlier, he's the heel, he chirps and everything, but like the amount of work that he put in to get to where he was, to where he is, like deserves a lot more recognition for it. Like people nicknamed him the process for the city that is in the process for a reason, right? Like he's, but he developed all by himself, it seems. And people would say like, how, how, how do you know that? And it's just like, if you compare it to every other draft pick that the Sixers have had in this time frame, you look at Ben Simmons, you look at Markel, you look at Nerlens Noel, and you look at Jalil Okafor. When they left Philadelphia, Markel right now is on a good path. Very, very sad that he got hurt, but Orlando was developing him solidly. Right, he was looking to potentially get back on track to where he was. Maybe not the superstar potential that people were hyping him up to be, but he was returning to a level where he could be very good. Nerlens Noel, Angelo Okafor, they got burnt out by Philadelphia, and so the question now becomes: Do the Philadelphia 76ers try to develop Ben Simmons, get a coach that will actually develop him? Because no disrespect to Doc Rivers, he's not exactly the development talent coach. Or are they just going to give up on Ben Simmons? Because Ben Simmons is really, really good when it comes to passing, when it comes to defense. He can do these things. But in today's NBA, if you can't shoot, you're going to be a liability. And it just comes down to that. Are the Sixers going to try to develop Ben Simmons? Or are they going to keep throwing him out here on his own? And that is how it's going to be. How is Philadelphia going to reevaluate their core? It all comes down to, do we want to actually try to develop Ben Simmons further? Or are we done with the experiment? Do we think he's not going to grow anymore? I think he's going to grow more, but he needs a coach that will actually try it again to shoot more because we saw the clips that resurfaced from summer league in his rookie season. He was hitting pull-up J's like it was nothing. And he not only was he doing it with confidence, he was hitting the shots. So I'm wondering like, where's that Ben Simmons? And that just goes to show Philadelphia have a very, very poor development system. And I don't think anyone's really talking about it just because of how good Joel Embiid turned out to be which I think is more up to Embiid rather than to the people actually trying to develop Embiid. Well, I, I completely agree with you, Julian, in terms of how bad the Philadelphia 76ers developmental system is. You know, I'm going to compare it to a team in the Raptors. The Raptors, in my opinion, have one of the best developmental systems in the entire NBA. We saw what happened with Pascal Siakam. We saw what happened with Fred Van Vliet. You know, we can even go back uh, prior years. We saw what happened with DeMar DeRozan, even in the past. You know, you look at the role players now, Norman Powell, who is, uh, who's on Portland, but he was he got really he developed a lot. He played in the G League for the yeah. Raptors. OG Ananobi, uh, he's developed even after you know missing that entire playoff run in 2019. He's developed Malachi one of the, right now. Malachi with Flynn, Jalen Harris, like, two like good picks these past draft. Like this, the, the Raptors do both of the things in terms of hitting picks late in the draft, 
and developing them into great talents. Like a lot of people will say, oh, they missed on Jakob Pertl though. But if Jakob Pertl was still with the Toronto Raptors, he would be a lot better than what what he is now with the Spurs. I don't don't think so. I I think uh, Jakob, like his ceiling is what he is now. Like even if he was on the Raptors, I just feel like the fact that he's playing in such a small market in San Antonio that also isn't like making the playoffs right now. People are going to be like, oh yeah, he was a missed pick, but he was actually solid for the Raptors and he's been very, very solid for San Antonio. So like that also goes to show that like he's, he's benefited very well from development because none of us expected him to be as good as he is now. A lot of people expected him to be a worse version of what he is now as a role player. Now he's a serviceable starter. Like if you put him on the nets right now, I think he'd be solid for them, especially with what they have around them in, you know, KD, Kyrie, uh, James Harden. If they had Jakob Pertl at the center position, I think that would solve a lot more problems for them. But, I mean, that's just me. Yeah, Jakob Pertl, he's good now like with the Spurs, but the Raptors would have developed that even quicker, in my opinion, because we saw what happened with Siakam. Siakam yeah. was in the G League. He won the G League championship with the Raptors 905, got G League MVP. Like, you know, yeah. Pertl was in those same spots as him, you know, and uh, – I think that with the Spurs, he's definitely turned out to be a, a, a good serviceable, serviceable player for them. But if he was with the Raptors, you know, he, who knows? He could have extended to a further, uh, uh, become a better player. And, you know, he might have become what he is now with the Spurs even quicker. Uh, but look, the Raptors, like I said, they have a great developmental system. The Sixers, on the other hand, they're on the exact opposite. The questions from Ben Simmons is draft year of him not being able to shoot that much and he's more of a facilitator and a, a stasher and he's a guy that can get you buckets at the at the rim but they're still continuing five years after he's drafted it's it's not a, it's a flaw on him and it's a flaw on philadelphia because they have been unable to develop a, a raw raw talent in ben simmons and if they give up on him now if he goes to a team that has a good developmental system and a coach that can provide him uh, with the abilities and the confidence to become that player that we all know he can become, they're going to regret it. This should, this might be Ben Simmons' last game with Philadelphia, but this shouldn't be. They should reevaluate their core. Yes, they. In my opinion, Tobias Harris, he's a great player. He's been really good for them this year, but they need something better than Tobias Harris if they want to contend for a championship. And Ben Simmons needs a, another a third star that can create off the dribble for them. And Tobias Harris is good, but is he a third option on a championship team in this year's in this NBA? I don't think so. And, and Ben Simmons is a great raw talent, and you need to develop it. And we saw it with Markel Fultz. We saw it with Nerlens Noel. We saw it with Jalil Okafor. These Sixers they take these raw athletic draft picks and. They just fail time and time again to develop them. Look, yeah, Joel Embiid, you know, he they can say, yo, we got Joel Embiid. We made Joel Embiid good. I don't know what she's saying, but Joel Embiid has put in the time. He's put in the work. Like you said, he's put in the time and work to become the player he is. Philadelphia, they might have helped him in some sense, but did they put in the time? Did they put in the work? I don't think so, because we would we would have seen the same thing happen with Ben Simmons. It's been five years since he's drafted. He's having the same problems. There's, there's nothing to say. Like that's just, that's just it. Like for example, as you mentioned, as you mentioned about Joel Embiid's and the development, I mentioned it as well. When Joel Embiid came into the league, he couldn't hit threes either. Like he couldn't shoot, right? 
Like now, like obviously he isn't Steph Curry. He's not a sniper from three-point range, but you can't just leave Joel Embiid open on the perimeter anymore. Like he'll hit some shots. He's become respectable from there because he's worked hard to get there. Ben Simmons, not so much. Ben Simmons per seven, minimum 70%, no, not 70%, minimum 70 chances at the free throw line in the playoffs had the worst NBA playoffs in NBA history when it comes to free throw percentage. He's been that bad at free throws since he came in. In fact, he was better when he came into the NBA at free throws than he is right now. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. The fact that Philadelphia has just not been able to develop him at all. Like at this point, you have a better chance throwing a ball at the end of a barn and that'll have a problem, more probability of actually going into it off a ricochet than have Ben Simmons hit it on a regular free throw. It's ridiculous at this point for Ben Simmons. He's a very, very good player. The flaws that he has, first of all, has to question his work, but secondly, also has to question how good Philadelphia's development system is. There's just no way around it. Like, I'm sorry to say it's Philadelphia fans, but your title window is no longer here unless you actually are able to get Ben Simmons to start working more on his weaknesses of his game. Like, I know people slam Giannis. Oh, Giannis can't shoot. Giannis is actively trying to improve, and the Bucs are actively trying to get him to shoot more, get better at shooting, and simultaneously bring in talent to support him for it. Philadelphia, yeah, I haven't seen them try to help Ben Simmons shoot more. I haven't seen them try to improve it, and that's going to cost them. That's just severely going to cost them in the end. Yeah, the questions that were coming out of this game after they lost the Hawks were, can Ben Simmons be a good point guard on a championship-winning team in the NBA? And the answer to that question is, yes, he can, but you need to develop him into that. And the Philadelphia 76ers have been unable to do that after five years. That's not an onus on Ben Simmons. It's an onus on the Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, Simmons does deserve a lot of slack for it because, look, you're, you're an NBA player. You should work hard to become better at what your flaws are. That's, that's like the simple rule as an athlete. But Philadelphia has failed to enable Ben Simmons as a point guard in the NBA and they didn't address the issues surrounding him as well like the the team coming into the season I did not have high hopes for the 76ers I was shocked that they came first in the Eastern Conference I thought they would come third fourth maybe even fifth because I didn't think they'd address the right issues going into the season they got Doc Rivers in my opinion not a good coach is still riding his 2008 championship uh, from the Boston Celtics 13 years later he's He's he if he gets fired from the Philadelphia 76ers, he will find a job elsewhere because his name is that big. He's getting carried from his name because he won a championship 13 years ago. That simple. But they could have got a better coach than Doc Rivers. They could have got a coach that actually enabled Ben Simmons. They decided, okay, we're gonna address our, our three-point shooting this offseason. We're gonna get Seth Curry. That's a good addition. That's a good addition. It's a good start. Danny Green, okay, he had a questionable. A uh, few playoffs with the Raptors and Lakers, but he's a uh, known guy that can hit you threes, and he's been decent this year. But they, that's it. They're not going to go for something else. Dwight Howard is he going to help you with shoot, three point shooting? And no, we all know that Dwight Howard can't shoot for if his life depended on it, right? So they didn't address the right issues in the right ways, and I think the the way for them to move forward is to develop Ben Simmons into raw and. Uh, into something that is better than what he is now because he's a raw talent five years after he's been drafted. How is that possible? How is he not developed yet? 
He is so good. He has so much potential and he can reach the heights of it. But the Philadelphia 76ers have failed to enable that. And the way that they can improve is enabling Ben Simmons. That's my opinion. Uh, step number one, the clear thing that you have to do. Another thing is improve on another scoring option that is not jo- Joel Embiid because Tobias Harris, he's been good. Like I said, he's been good, but he's not good enough on the championship caliber team. What do, what do you think, Jen? I, I really just, I don't have anything else to say about Philadelphia anymore. I think everything that has had to be said has been said. I feel like obviously Ben Simmons also has been getting a lot more slander than he deserves. Like he deserves some part of the responsibility, but you know, at this point people are like, he doesn't even belong in the NBA. I'm like, I mean, he does. Let's be real. Like he really, really does. Um, well, that does bring the question of like, where, where does Ben Simmons sit? And honestly, I'm, I'm not going to keep addressing it anymore because it's something that's been overplayed. We, we already spoke about it to length. NBA Twitter speaks about it at length. And at this point, you know, everything that's had to be said about Ben Simmons, I think has been said. Like, I don't think we have to elaborate anymore on it, especially with how Philadelphia's handled it. What's Philadelphia going to do this offseason? Who knows? But it's going to be interesting. All right. Uh, so we are running short on time here, so we're going to have to cut it there. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to the very first ever episode of Pick and Pod. I know I had fun doing this. I will have fun doing this in the future. Uh, we spent a lot of time going through the Hawks and Sixers, the Bucks and Nets. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to – these conference finals are going to be really, really interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the offseason as well. Uh, you know, and it's going to it's gonna be a fun time recording this. Uh, and, I, and I've wanted to speak about basketball for a long time on, a, on some sort of platform because I know a lot of people know me for my hockey stuff, but not, not a lot of people know that basketball was my first sport that I ever loved in – so it's great seeing, great talking about it. I'm, I'm sure it's great for you as well, Jillian. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed listening, and we'll catch you guys next time on Pick and Pod.